Well, it's that time of year again here in the United States and many other parts of the world where we push the clocks back when daylight saving time comes to an end and we move into standard time. What's all this talk about time, you may be asking? (laughs) Oh, and by the way, Alexis Brooks here from Higher Journeys, and I'm back with another episode of Conscious Commentary. And yes, I know we have, I think, missed a couple of episodes at this point, simply because we have had to stuff in (laughs) several uh, episodes that were backlogged of our long form show with guests. So I hope you haven't missed it too much. Uh, I think uh, the interviews that we have put up have been quite entertaining. People have enjoyed them, including myself. Love speaking with Nick Redfern and oh my gosh Linda Moulton Howe and and uh, and others and Mary Rodwell so nonetheless hence the reason for conscious commentary being a little off kilter speaking of off kilter we are going to talk about time all this talk about time every single time (laughs) I should say uh uh during the certain times of the year, of course, there's uh, two times that we typically, uh, those of us that observe this, uh, change our clocks uh, in the springtime in many parts of the world, we uh, move the clock forward. My mother would always say, this is how you remember what you do, Alexis. In the spring, we spring forward and in the fall, we fall back. We turn the clocks back one hour. And, you know, it's always been at this time, that I would take notice of the idea that time may be illusory. We have heard this before. I'm sure most, if not all of you listening right now, have pondered, if not read theories about this idea that uh, that time, as we understand it, is nothing more than a construct, an illusion. We've heard the term simultaneous time, that in truth, all time exists from a point of the present, meaning that all things are enfolded. And we're going to get into using that term enfolded within the now. That would be what we conceive as or perceive, I should say, as past as well as future. But as far as this idea of uh, daylight saving time, there are 70 countries now that observe Uh, that observe, interesting term to use once again, daylight saving time, typically begins in March or April, when again, as we said, we move the clocks forward. And it ends sometime in October, when we push the clock back. I say observe is an interesting expression, because I do believe that just the act of observation has quantum implications, does it not? This idea, uh, often referred to as the observer effect, describes the idea that what exists is relative to what we are observing, including time. Now, I want to bring in another element I'm going to fold into the theme here, exploring this idea that time may be an illusion. But is time an illusion within the context of a simulated universe. This is what adds an extra spin on this whole idea for me, and maybe even a bit more plausibility as the the notion or the theory, the hypothesis that the reality that we know in the universe that we believe ourselves to occupy may be nothing more than a simulation emanating from somewhere else. I pause when I say where, because is it, if, if time and space for that matter, are illusory in the broader spectrum of things. 
So I want to start, I, I, I've got several points I want to make here. I just thought it would be an interesting thing, given that we just, uh, many of us, of course, just uh, moved our clocks back. I, I, again, I can't, I cannot get over how plastic time seems to be and how flexible. I'll, I'll comment on that a little bit more later, but let's talk about this idea of a simulated reality. And I want to refer to refer you to an interview that I did with uh, none other than our friend Linda Moulton Howe back in June of 2017, where the talk that she was giving at the conference, uh, Contact in the Desert, as a matter of fact, that I had attended and covered, uh, was indeed on a simulated model of reality. And I believe she's given this variations of this talk uh, on several occasions. But one story that she told within our uh, interview, a particular episode, had to do with a gentleman named Jerry Wills, who many of you may know that name as well. He is, uh, well, he's known for his his sojourns to Peru and mystical experiences that have happened there, uh, not the least of which was one. I don't recall the date, but this is uh, the famous story that he tells of having just gotten married they were he and his bride were in Peru. He was brought to a sacred location. And forgive me, I cannot call the name I can find it. But uh, an area that is uh, restricted, I believe to a lot of people, but a sacred site, nonetheless, in which uh, using a particular phrase, uh, or process, uh, he was told that at once at this site, something extraordinary could very well happen. Well, with him, it did. And I'm going to cut to the chase because I, w- I don't want to get into the bit by bit or the blow by blow of what happened in this in his this excursion. But essentially, he found himself having going through this, uh, this process that he was told, and he was also told not to give it to anyone. But apparently, it worked for him because he found himself in what he describes as another universe, another dimension. And in this dimension, Uh, the time spent there, and I'm emphasizing time again, he came upon what he described as being a voice. He never mentioned that I know of seeing uh, an entity, but in communicating with an entity, uh, obviously being extraordinarily shocked about how he one moment was on the other side of this sacred door with his bride and the next in this very unfamiliar territory and began conversing with the voice. And the voice said to Jerry, when he asked, where am I? The voice said, you're in a universe that we created. And the voice goes on to describe lots of things. But uh, as Jerry relayed this to Linda, who then described it to our audience, he said that that the voice described the universe as a laboratory, the universe that he had found himself in, described it as a mass of blackness and more. But then the voice says to Jerry, we're in a different dimension than yours, speaking of our uh, our universe that we inhabit. He says, this is a laboratory. And we created your universe. He says, we wanted to study how life could evolve and how to understand where universes come from. Well, he goes, this is the voice speaking, of course, goes on to explain sort of the parameters by which our universe, uh, as as opposed to theirs, is created, and multiple universes, the multiverse theory, of course, uh, that is described. Uh, But the main thing that I found interesting is how the voice 
said clearly when Jerry began to panic, he had spent some time there, asked the voice, how long have I been here? And, and, and how can I get back? He was panicking. And the voice said to him clearly, our time is completely different than your time. Our time is completely different than your time. And it was at that moment that Jerry got this vision that how we measure time as minutes and hours and years and lifetimes in the universe that he had been taken to could be maybe only seconds, a blink of an eye, so to speak. So as Linda is conveying this to me, and she had a great way of sort of illustrating this with her hands even, she says, uh, hypothesizes, so, you know, if our universe is 13 to 14 billion years old, and yet our universe was created as a simulation or an experiment in the universe that Jerry Wills had visited, that universe, in their uh, understanding of time, may have created our universe only last year. Does that make any sense? I mean, it's just when you juxtapose the measurement of time from one dimension to the, to the next, it boggles the mind. Is our universe actually 13 to 14 billion years old, according to our construct of time, when in actuality, or when in an, another universe, <laughs> I don't want to confuse myself here, the universe that is alleged to have created ours only did it last year. This is the vision that Jerry got as he was being uh, uh, sort of downloaded by this voice, how time worked or doesn't. If you're enjoying this episode and want to get more conversations about all things intriguing, inspiring, and unusual, be sure to subscribe to Higher Journeys on YouTube. And once you do, don't forget to hit that notification bell to receive an announcement as soon as a new episode is posted. And now, back to our show. So in keeping with the conversation, I, I want to really set this up for you all because it, it, there's just so, so many entry points to the idea that time is illusory. But I definitely thought that looking at this in the, the context of a simulated model, which, again, I don't know that it can be proven unequivocally that this is the case. But I have to tell you, this whole idea of a simulated or even holographic model of reality has always intrigued me and quite frankly resonated with me, though I certainly can't um, uh, explain it. It just feels interesting, does it not? Well, nonetheless, in this conversation overall about the the simulated and holographic model, Linda brought up another conversation, some testimony that she had taken from a contactee who she calls Paul. And this had more to do with the idea of Recycling of souls, meaning the birth, death cycle, and the afterlife. And based on some of the things that Paul told Linda, who had his own extraordinary experience that would be more commonly referred to as an abduction experience with a gray, a gray who communicated with him and showed with Paul and showed him a 3D holograph of the universe. And once again, interestingly, in both cases, the the individuals, the humans that are having the experience with something that is non-human, they're telepathing to the human how things work in various universes. Like Jerry got a download 
sort of a word picture of, of or a vision of what the voice was describing. Paul also got sort of this download or, or vision from the gray alien, allegedly that was communicating to him, that we're in a universe, meaning art where we live, humans, where time goes to the future and that entropy dominates uh, the universe, but that there are other universes where the vector of time goes to the past, where you can't break, you can't die. It just continues, it, it moves in a different direction. It's just amazing. Uh, Linda and I in this conversation, particularly within the context of the afterlife realms, and she she was completely lucid in the way she distilled her her understanding and her ideas about how this may work based on the testimony that she's gotten from people that have claimed to have had these contacts and have touched these other dimensions in, in various forms. But we remarked about this idea of afterlife, of which none of us truly knows what that entails or the rules of engagement, if you will, the frequency that may exist or frequencies in these uh, other maybe matter worlds, who knows or not. But we talked about this idea of time being far more fluid, maybe not existing at all, particularly in the afterlife, but moreover, how it seems as if in looking at the birth death cycle, when you go back to uh, back to the afterlife, if that makes sense, after the body dies, and you go into uh, that other form of reality, that rather than time progressing, you aging, time regresses in which you get younger. And I'm not going to ask if that makes sense, because I don't know that it would in our understanding of time. But it seems as if and I believe this was a uh, relative to our conversation about Paul, who had this contact experience where he was able to, to to get a vision of how that birth death cycle works. And when you go, it's like looking at birth and death from a quantum perspective, you're going back into the vacuum of uh, the wave, if you will. Uh, or as David Bohm, the famous physicist put it back into uh, a phase of enfoldment, uh, Paul likened it to be somewhat similar in that going back into the vacuum, rather than you existing in sort of hyperspace, th there is a sort of time sequence, but it regresses as opposed to progresses. And I, I think that's interesting as well. Again, it shows how flexible time is and how our notions of time are not a fixed, uh, a, a fixed variable of how it works across the board, I guess you could say. And when that came up in our conversation, my conversation with Linda, I immediately got this idea of the multiple, multiple accounts that people have uh, given me, as well as just stories that have been told of having dreams of departed loved ones, or maybe apparitions, seeing a departed loved one at the, uh, the foot of their bed. And invariably, the individual will say, when I saw my mother, she looked 20 years younger. Every single case that I have taken of individuals who claim to have had after-death communication, communication with loved ones crossed over, that they have seen, they 100% of the time describe them as looking younger. 
So that idea came to mind This uh, as I was talking to Linda about time progression versus time regression in a very malleable plastic universe or universes, as it were. So I, again, I just wanted to sort of paint that broadly to, to really just illustrate, especially if we're living in a simulation, how the idea of time as having different rules depending on the universe or the frequency or the dimension or the density that we're occupying uh, changes. But what about right here? What about right here on this, in this universe and on this planet? And coming back to this idea that we, and I say we as part of the human family, decide two times a year that we're going to switch the clock. We're going to move forward in the spring and fall back in autumn or fall. And what happens there? Now, obviously, in this case, we're just talking about an hour forward and an hour back. So you may not notice any drastic changes, but there are differences. So this is where we're going to get into how the reality around us conforms to how we perceive time based on how we've set it. When we change our clocks, whether forward or back, our body even though it may be only subtle differences, will conform to that time change. It may take a few days, but invariably we will respond to how we've set our clock. Certainly our, our schedule will shift a bit, our work schedule, what time we need to be at work, what time we're going to go to bed, or at what point uh, in the cycle of our day we're going to go to bed and get up. So this brings up the whole idea of the perception of time, not that it is a fixed idea, but how can I put it? We respond according to how we have decided to set the time. This morning I was thinking of, well, we set the clock back a few days ago here in the United States, or the parts of the United States, not not every uh, part of those seven countries, 70 countries, not uh, in all cases, parts of the country may not adhere to that time. This is another thing. This is a this is a, a decision that's made by our governments to either do this or not do this. And, and it, this is still a very controversial thing as to whether this is something that's necessary or not, and their justification for doing it. But I was just saying to a friend yesterday, isn't it interesting that man decides we're going to change the clock or we're not? or we're thinking of maybe not doing daylight saving time anymore. But either way, once a decision is made by man, or, you know, a group of individuals, we adhere to the decision, which says to me that it is a construct, that time is a construct, and we can change the construction of it at any time, including our perception of it. Does that make sense? It really, I think, they, and again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but every single time this happens, I question the true nature of time. Every time we set our clocks back or forward, I say to myself, if anything, this is probably more evidence to show how plastic it is, or at least our relative position to it and how we respond to it. Let's talk about the time element, or let's look at it a little bit from the quantum perspective, particularly from, from um 
you all know my one of my favorite books is The Holographic Universe by the late Michael Talbot. I wanted to read a quote to you uh, that that really looks at this whole idea of time, and particularly the past from a quantum perspective. Now, David Bohm, the physicist who wrote the landmark book, Wholeness in the Implicate Order, was uh, prominently featured in Talbot's book, The Holographic Universe. And on the matter of time, Talbot includes Bohm's ideas of time uh, with respect to the past, in keeping with what he referred to as the implicate and explicate model. So in, uh, or I should say, if the universe is holograph, holographic, which is what is being postulated here, which is not exactly the same as a simulated model, but has very uh, similar features, let's just say. But suffice it to say, in talking about the past, within Bohm's hypothesis, uh, he believes that the past is not lost, but, quote, still exists, let me read a quote to you, still exists in some form accessible to human perception, the past we're talking about. Our normal view of the universe, that which assumes time is a fixed reality, makes no allowance for such a state of affairs, it said. But the holographic model does. Bohm's notion that the flow of time is the product of a constant series of unfolding and infolding suggests that as the present infolds and becomes part of the past, it does not cease to exist, but simply returns to the cosmic storehouse of the implicate. Or as Baum puts it, the past is active in the present as a kind of implicate order. If, as Bohm suggests, continuing with the quote from the book, if, as Bohm suggests, consciousness also has its source in the implicate, this means that the human mind and the holographic record of the past already exist in the same domain and are, in a manner of speaking, already neighbors. Thus, a shift in the focus of one's attention may be all that is needed to access the past, end quote. I found that last sentence to be quite telling. A shift in the focus of one's attention may be all that's needed to access the past. Well, what if a shift in the focus of one's attention is all that is needed to shift the perception of time. Again, all of this points to the idea, particularly within either a simulated model or a holographic model of reality, that time is somewhat illusory or at a minimum plastic and can be molded as we so desire based on the shift of our focus or maybe just making the decision to do so we're going to observe daylight saving time. This whole idea of observing daylight saving time reminds me of the observer effect. Did I not mention this earlier? If I did, forgive me, but I'm going to say it again. I find it interesting that, that that's how it's described, what countries observe and what parts of certain countries observe daylight saving time versus don't. Well, as we know, again, in the observer effect, it's the idea that our reality only exists as having a point in space and time based on how it's observed. I don't know if I'm saying that the right way. But essentially, what we're saying is, if we're looking at a tree falling in the woods, if we're not looking at it, is it really falling in the woods? 
So the observer is affecting the reality that they're witnessing around them, or maybe even creating it. I hope I didn't botch that. But in kind of drawing a correlation between how it's talked about people observing daylight saving time versus not, is really saying observing one form of reality or decision based on another. I don't want to dig myself into a hole that's so deep I can't get out. But I thought I would bring that up because I I just find that quite interesting. There are other curious experiences of time that have come up in in this whole spectrum of of the true nature of time, some of which I'm not going to get into too much now because I know we're running out of time for conscious commentary for today. (laughs) But the notion of missing time, often associated with alien encounters, is something that is extraordinarily uh, tantalizing to, to, to look at. It's been uh, documented on many occasions of individuals who have had ET contact experiences, speaking of chunks of time being missing, again, pointing to the possible illusory nature of time as we understand it. I'll tell you a quick little story as we wind down that has to do with uh, what amounted to a three-month period of time, uh, a profound spiritual experience that I still have um, no way of particularly quantifying. I, I still am trying to understand the full import of that experience of mine, but believe me, it was a transformational experience. But one of the many sort of anomalous and just mind-expanding um, experiences that I had within this three-month excursion and I would say an altered state had to do with me being in contact and and I'm pausing here guys because it's still very difficult for me to talk about to, to describe as it was so out of the ordinary but apparently there was a dialogue not apparently there was most certainly a dialogue that I an ongoing three month long dialogue that I had been having with what I would dare say uh, would be called non-human intelligence, though I still don't know the origin of that that intelligence. Nonetheless, this was a dialogue that ensued for quite some time, and I, during this, during the course of this experience, had been having a back and forth, question and answer, at times with this entity, and I remember asking a particular question. I'm not going to repeat the question. Uh, as it was private, but I posed a question to this, let's just call it intelligence. And I remember at the time that I posed the question, it was in the evening. And I asked it, asked it very clearly, and very succinctly, and expected an answer. And I didn't get one, at least not at that time. I then eventually went to bed. And when I woke up, I'll never forget the moment I opened my eyes next morning, this voice, this entity answered my question as if I had just asked it. Even though hours had passed, the way the answer came, it was as if there was absolutely no gap between my asking the question and my getting the answer to the question. I will never forget that. And I I remember remarking that 
this must be what is described when individuals are saying that they're having a dialogue with something or having a ET, uh, some form of contact with non-human intelligence coming from uh, another dimension or density, a different frequency. And there's this sort of disparity in time. Uh, whomever they're communicating with may say, our measurement of time is different than yours, or we live outside of the construct of time that you're aware of. This comes up, forgive me for saying it, time and time again. Well, with whatever I was communicating with, that seemed to be the parameters for which we were communicating outside of the construct of time that I knew. Because again, I hope I'm communicating this properly to you. Now, sure, you know, you might say a prayer, let's say, let me, let me juxtapose this with another example. Let's say you say a prayer, you pray to God, you have a request, and you say the prayer. And of course, you expect the answer to come immediately, the answer to your prayer, it could take a month, it could take a year, maybe it won't come at all, at least not in the form that you're expecting. This was a a bit different, however. Understand that I'm having an active and articulate dialogue, though telepathically, with something that I have yet to be able to identify. I pose a question on one night, one evening. There was absolutely no response within the time frame that I expected because we were having a dialogue. There were times that I that it was a flow you know, a conversational flow. But on this particular occasion, it's as if there was a demarcation point, the way I perceive time. And yet the next morning, the moment I opened my eyes, the answer came as if there wasn't any break in time. Again, showing that time does not operate. The rules of engagement are not the same, depending on where we are spending our time <laughs> communicating with others. I, I Look at how many times I brought up time. I just did it again. Very interesting. Are we slaves to time is another question. Or can we become more flexible with how we perceive time? And eventually, we'll be more flexible in how we experience it. Let me leave you with a quote uh, from an article that I found just today. Let's see if I can find it here that I thought was so apropos in terms of our being slaves to time. This is uh, by a gentleman, a blogger by the name of Larry G. McGuire. I had not been familiar with his work, but as I was doing a little bit of research uh, on our conscious commentary chat today, I figured I'd see if I could find something, uh, a postulate or two on this idea of time being illusory. And I did find this article. In fact, I'll post the entire article, but I plucked this article out and I thought it was great advice that I think I'm going to leave you with. Uh, courtesy of Larry G. McGuire, the author, author of this piece. He says, quote, the things we make important are really not. We spend the best years of our lives slaves to the clock, to employers, to organizations and institutions. End quote. We spend the best years of our lives slaves to the clock. Does it make sense to spend our lives slaves to something that is illusory? Or can we 
take the process of time somewhat into our own hands, bend it a little bit, if you will, just like our governments do when they decide that they want daylight saving time. Is it that simple? I wonder. What do you think? As always, let me know. You know where you can find me. Facebook, Higher Journeys. Let me know. I want to hear what you what you think about just this this idea of time being illusory and this idea of time being illusory in a simulated model of reality. I don't know, but I think it's damn interesting. All right, I'm going to wind up for now. Listen, let me leave you with this. We've got a bunch of great stuff coming up. I am so excited. I'm not going to share all of it right now. Uh, we'll be announcing some neat things coming up in the short term. But I did want to give you a, a reminder that our next interview, I'm so excited, will be with a well-known ufologist from the UK named Philip Mantle, who wrote, I'm sorry, did not write, but he published a book under his own publishing company uh, about the Pascagoula I think I'm pronouncing it right. Pascagoula, Mississippi is where the extraordinary case of ET contactee Calvin Parker took place back in the 70s. This has gained amazing momentum, uh, uh, the story of Calvin Parker, uh, even though this happened, gosh, 40 some odd years ago. Uh, and the Pascagoula, my story, I believe is the, name, the title of the book, uh, case. Uh, there's been a resurgence in the interest in this particular story. And I'm really anxious to dig in with Philip to find out what's happening with that. I, I'm somewhat familiar with the story, but I, I'm particularly interested in why this resurgence, why now and why this particular story. So Philip Mantle will be our guest next week on Higher Journeys Radio. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that. In the meantime, take the time to ponder these big questions. And uh, maybe you'll come up with um, your own process for how you perceive time and how you live your lives. Most importantly, I think the lesson from Larry is clear. Let's not be a slave to time. Let's not be a slave to anyone or anything. Let's be free and enjoy our time on this planet. Until then, I'll talk to you soon. I'm Alexis Brooks. Take care. Take care.